The Alec Murdaugh trial out of South Carolina captivated the nation earlier this year, and we have one of the foremost experts on the case to talk to us all about it. The Murdaugh saga, and that really is the only word for it, is a saga, is so multi-layered and multifaceted, complex, complicated, but I'm going to try to briefly break down all of it for you. So let's rewind to February 2019. Mallory Beach died as a result of a boat crash. The boat was driven by Paul Murdaugh, the younger son of Alec. His blood alcohol content was 0.286, which is over three times the legal limit for operating a motor vehicle, though at the time of the accident, Paul was not even old enough to drink. Paul and Mallory were friends, and because of the Murdaugh's position as a very prominent family of attorneys in Hampton County, South Carolina, Paul was never given a field sobriety test, he wasn't taken to jail, he wasn't even ever handcuffed. So the Beach wrongful death case began to unravel Alec Murdaugh's criminal enterprise. It exposed financial information that ultimately led to an inquiry into Alec's financial wrongdoing. So I say this in the episode, I'll say it again here. The night Mallory Beach died, though he obviously did not know it, I believe Paul signed his own death certificate as well, unfortunately, as his mother Maggie's. Before we get more into this, I want to introduce you, I guess, to the four-person immediate Murdoch family. That included Alec, who is a prominent attorney, Maggie, and their sons, Buster and Paul. So just days before a hearing in the Beach case, one that would compel Alec to turn over his financial information, Maggie and Paul were viciously murdered at the Murdaugh's hunting camp, Moselle, on June 7th, 2021. The hearing, by the way, was scheduled for June 10th. But amazingly, that is not all. The Murdaws are also rumored to be connected to the 2015 murder of Stephen Smith on a rural road in Hampton County. They're also rumored to be connected to the alleged accidental death, I don't think it was accidental at all, of their housekeeper, Gloria Satterfield, in 2018. Gloria fell down the front steps at Moselle on February 2nd of that year, and she died on February 26th. So then in 2019, the Mallory Beach boat crash, and then in June of 2021, Paul and Maggie's murder. Three months after their murder in September 2021, Alec was shot in the head in a failed assisted suicide. Now, Alec allegedly embezzled up to $20 million, mostly from clients he was paid to help, to support his opioid addiction. And I feel as though I'm barely scratching the surface here on what I'm calling the Murdoch saga. For the full scope of the Murdoch crimes, you've got to read the book we're talking about on the show today, first of all. We'll get into that in a moment. In addition to the book, I also recommend checking out both the HBO and Netflix docuseries on the family. This truly is a case of the truth being far stranger than any fiction could ever be. Alec was convicted of the murder of his wife and youngest son, Maggie and Paul, this past March 2nd. He was sentenced to two life sentences without the possibility of parole. So if you know the Murdoch case at all, then you know the name Mandy Matney. She is the author of the new book, Blood on Their Hands, Murder, Corruption, and the Fall of the Murdoch Dynasty, which is out tomorrow. She's also the host of the wildly popular Murdoch Murders podcast, which I highly recommend. Mandy began reporting on the Murdoch's following the 2019 boat crash, so she has been in the same room as Paul and Maggie. 
which I honestly find incredibly spooky. As you will hear her talk about, the extremely powerful and influential Murdoff family very much knew who she was, and Mandy even feared for her life because of their chokehold on this part of the South Carolina Low Country. I want to tell you a little bit about Mandy before we get into the episode. So after our last episode, I promised that I'm not getting paid by the University of Kansas School of Journalism to promote it. But like me and like our guests on the last episode, Mandy is a graduate of KU and is from Kansas. So again, I say rock chalk Jayhawk. She has worked for newspapers in Missouri, Illinois, and South Carolina. She now lives in South Carolina with her husband and dog. And in addition to the Murdoch Murders podcast, she also hosts the podcast Cup of Justice. One quick housekeeping note. This episode was recorded about six weeks or so ago when my mic was having issues. Remember that? So I sound pretty terrible on this episode, but again, you're not here for me. Mandy sounds great, and I am excited for you to hear more from her. Take a listen. Mandy, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to talk about this with you and hear all of your perspective. Thank you for being here. Rachel, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. This is, uh, I'm used to being on the other side of interviews. I know. I was going to say from one podcaster to another. Okay, yeah. so we got to start here. First and foremost, the most important question of the day. I read in the book that you are from Kansas. So am I. So I'm what part of Kansas are you from? I am from Kansas City, uh, the Kansas City area. Uh, Shawnee is, I don't yeah, know. I, I know. I mean, you know, I know exactly where that is. I'm from Topeka. So, okay. Kansas, yeah. Kansas girls unite, right? And, and I live in the South now as well. So, I, hey. you and I have had similar career. Where did you go to school? Uh, University of Kansas. Me too. When did you graduate? <laughs> 2012. What about you? Oh, nine. So I'm a little bit older than you. We, I guess we overlapped for one year, but you probably weren't in the J school yet because you were just a freshman and I don't think they were. Yeah, like that's too funny. Yeah, that's you're wild. Right. Anyway. Okay. Well, we should have had that conversation offline, but I just had to know because I'm a very proud Kansan and I'm also a very Me proud Seahawk. So we are, we are Kansas sisters turned Southerners. So you were at the right place at the right time when this, when the Murdoch saga happened. Could you have ever imagined that a case like this and one of this magnitude would land in your backyard? No, uh, not in a million years. Mm-hmm. And I still am kind of grappling with the reality that, cause it's still not over, you know? Um, sure. Yeah, no, it's definitely there's not. Still, there's still so many layers. And I felt like, not that we hit gold with this story because it was so horrible and so right. stressful and so awful, but It was just, and a lot of other journalists have said the same thing. They've just never seen anything like it. No, and it's just so multi-layered. Like you peel back one layer of the onion and then there's more and it's all terrible. It's all murder and just awful. Yes, (laughs) lots of awfulness. (laughs) Um, And yeah, and it it just keeps going. And Mm -hmm. I ask myself sometimes if there was a point uh, four years ago, if I would have, if had I known what all was behind that rock, you know, mm-hmm. had I have still gone for it. And I think I would, uh, but there are some days where I'm like, I kind of wish I didn't know about any of this that existed, but I'm glad I went there. And yeah, it's been four years of just chaos. When you're just such at the beginning of your career, I cannot wait to see all that you will do, but this is a heck of a way to start, right? Like this is a heck of a way to 
come out of the gate. You know, you wrote in the book about covering The Bachelorette before this case exploded on the scene, quite a 180, right, to the Murdoch murders. Um, I I will have already told my listeners by this point about the highlights of the case in my introduction, just in case they weren't like me and obsessively following along with every development of it over the years. But I want to start here. So, you know, the listeners know everything that's happened. So even though the Stephen Smith and Gloria Satterfield murders had already happened, and why well, I say murders, alleged murders, right? In 2015 and 2018, respectively, I would say Mallory Beach's death in a 2019 boat crash was kind of where publicly all of the saga began for the Murdoch. So before we jump into that, I'm, I'm actually really interested to hear in your words, since you're the expert here, what was the power of the Murdoch family in Hampton County, South Carolina. Maybe give us a little history of their power, like how how the solicitors get back so many generations, all of that. Sure. Um, Well, the Murdochs were, uh, three generations of Murdochs were solicitors in South Carolina for nearly a hundred years. So Mm -hmm. that's going back to the early 1900s with Randolph one and the solicitor's office is like South Carolina's DA. district attorney, but it covers, it could be considered more powerful because it covers several, a lot of DA district attorneys are just by county and the 14th circuit where they cover is five counties and it's Hilton Head, um, Beaufort, Hampton, and a few other rural, Colleton and a few other rural counties. Mm-hmm. And when I say solicitor, and it's kind of taken me a really long time to realize this, um, their family really decided who went to jail and who didn't for a mm. hundred years in wow. this entire area. So if you think about that, you think about they they were the ones that got to decide which crimes were not prosecuted. They mm. got to decide um, which ones were, and that's a lot of power. Mm-hmm. And with power comes a lot of fear. Right. Um, I just started, well, I started my investigation in 2019 and I was just immediately noticed with talking to people, just the fear that they had of this family. They were terrified of them. They kept saying the Murdochs are the law. So we don't trust law enforcement. Like the Murdochs are the law. And I had never really come across anything like that before in my career of just so many people being so terrified of this family and then all these rumors swirling around this and combined with the death of Mallory Beach and then hearing that the Murdochs somehow were and were could have been involved in Stephen's death all of it just rumors rumor and then hearing about Gloria Satterfield and it was scary I mean at the I don't think a lot of people realize that the beginning of this investigation it was like terrifying as a journalist to go into Hampton County oh I bet Um, I mean I because you know you don't want to cross this family and you don't know at this time that they're that Alec is going to be convicted in in four years you know like you know and well and Paul's not even dead Paul is very much alive and he is very much in trouble and you know you you just don't know and it's the fear and you know I've lived in the south for 14 years if you live in the south you know what this means and you 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 I almost called you Mallory you Mandy will know what this means but for those who may not what is the good old boy network 
because because the Murdochs were very much benefiting, I would say, from the good old boy network. They were the good old boy network. Yeah. And it's a lot of um, nepotism really is at the core of the good old boy network. It's these men who are born into power like all the generations of the Murdochs and they didn't, they don't have to work for their position of power. They just have it. Mm-hmm. And they often take advantage of people with that power. And the good old boy network, as I refer to them all the time, it's these, it's a lot of levels of different things. Cause some of the, some good old boy things I call like just old, uh, a lot of older men that don't treat women with respect in the workplace, you know, mm-hmm. and don't, take women seriously and they just they don't really work hard that's a trait of the good old boys that I've noticed um and that we found out in the last few years is that like a lot of people really put these guys up on these pedestals and think that they're so smart and think that like they had to really work to get where they were and you peel back the layers and the emperor the emperor has has no clothes like it's uh, been fascinating to see that these men who were so feared and so powerful, a lot of them just really aren't that smart when it comes down to it. They just were benefiting from a society that catered to them. Yeah, that is very, very well said. This is not a South Carolina thing. This isn't even a Southern thing. It's just probably more, maybe a little bit more pronounced in this part of the country. Definitely, um, definitely. I mean, you and I are both not from this part of the country. I would say that, it, at least from my experience, it is, but it's certainly not just a, a Hampton County, South Carolina thing. And uh, okay, so I want to circle back to the boat crash. So Paul Murdoch, who is the younger son of Alec and Maggie Murdoch, is drunk and well, allegedly he was never convicted for this, but I'm he was he he did this. He was driving the boat, is drunk, and he's driving a boat that crashes and it kills Mallory Beach. And you get a text that says hearing the driver is from a family of powerful lawyers. Everyone thinks he is going to get away with this. So Paul, of course, eventually ends up murdered. Do you think that without the boat, I've I've thought about this so much, probably more than I like, I'm kind of embarrassed to it. I'm not covering the case, you are. So you think about this for a living. I just have been interested in this case. Do you think without the boat crash, Paul and vis-a-vis Maggie too would still be alive today? It's almost like Paul unknowingly signed his own death certificate by crashing that boat that Mallory Beach died that night but so did Paul and Maggie just two years later right um yeah I don't see the murders really happening without the boat crash the boat crash kind of accelerated everything but at the same time the problem that was always Alex so in his money and trying to kind of live a double life and trying to um pretend to his family like he had all this money and all this things and really he has all of these problems mm-hmm. and I think that that was a ticking time bomb and I think that if the boat crash wouldn't have happened I think Paul would have Paul was inevitable inevitably going to get in trouble going to get in some just some very very bad things with mm-hmm. the way he was abusing alcohol. His family wasn't stopping him. And that was one thing that I first started seeing in my reporting was just that these were parents that were not correcting his behavior. So you have the perfect storm of Paul who, and I I really do 
feel sorry for Paul in a lot of ways now looking back because of the way he was raised. He really didn't have a chance to be normal and have a chance to be a good person. Um, He should have definitely paid for what he did to Mallory. And I just honestly wonder today if his parents and if his father particularly would have ever even allowed him to confess to that crime. I don't think he would have. Probably not because they would have found a way to cover it. He would have probably gotten away with it if it hadn't you know gone the way it did with with his Alex's financials and stuff I think that he would have found a way to get away with this unfortunately right so when you it's it's just so interesting when and I think about these things too like what could the boat crash if the boat crash was different would Paul and Maggie be alive but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day I think that Alex was just this monster waiting to come out and I think something really horrible was going to happen to that family, no matter what, with the way that he was headed. Well, it's a whole different level of horrible when you murder your son and your wife. Yeah, I mean, just, and, you know, I wasn't planning on asking this, but Paul was, you know, whether his fault or, or because he'd just been allowed the sense of entitlement and getting away with it, Paul was, was the way he was. But what about Buster? Because I don't see I don't see Buster as a perfect person by any means, but I also don't see Buster as maybe as entitled as Paul. I don't know. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Um, Buster's kind of an interesting character because he, I think that he actually, like looking back now, and I used to really, I used to have it wrong. I used to think that Paul was a lot more like his dad than Buster was. But I think Paul was different from Buster and his dad in that like he kind of could see things were wrong. And I think, I think he's speaking up to the family in a lot of ways um, and kind of going against the grain contributed to his alcoholism. And I just think, I think, think that Buster was not nearly as complex as Paul, if that makes sense. Mm, Uh, I think Buster really understands his role in the family, which is to keep your head down and to just do what you're told and to be a Murdoch. And I think that Paul was struggled a lot more with all of that. And yeah, Buster is very interesting. I'm I don't know if you saw the uh Fox News documentary with him. I did, day. actually. I did. And I was shocked that he did that and for so long. I mean, he yeah, I I would love to know your thoughts on that actually. I just watched that maybe a month ago. I think my main takeaway is just that Buster has never acted like he is in fear of a killer being out there. Right. And I think that right. that's really I know that that's hard for me to say as I don't know what it's like um, to be in his position and to be grieving at the level that he is losing his mom and his son and his mom and his brother and now his dad too. Uh, But at the same time, I think about this a lot that like, I mean, I, I live very close to Buster. So I, a lot of my friends and people who listen to the show will often text me photos of him out and doing things and out and about and that's fine whatever he's just not acting like a person who's terrified that like some sort of cartel is coming after him right Uh, he never acted like I would expect someone whose mother brother 
are murdered and his father is, is charged and then later convicted with that crime. He just never, he, he always seemed so emotionally distant to me. And by the way, listeners, just in case you don't know this, Buster is the older of the two Murdoch sons of Ali or Ali Alex and Maggie. And um, he, you know, they're only a family of four. Two of them are dead. One of them is in jail. So Buster is kind of, you know, the only one that's living a somewhat normal life, although he'll never live a fully normal life because of all of this. Yeah. And it, and it is really sad. And I, I didn't understand why he did that. Um, I don't think that that interview helped him as much as Mm -hmm. they thought that it would. He just came, like you said, distantly cold. And I think that that's just how he was raised, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you watch the family during the trial, they're all kind of emotionless. Um, I know. How can you sit in that courtroom and see the, because we couldn't see the photos, uh, yeah. you know, but he could. And like, I don't know how you can sit there and not like, I don't even know how you can sit there to be honest with you. If that's your mother and your brother. And I mean, because the murders were horrific, absolutely horrific. And here, even just hearing about it, let alone seeing it, I just, I don't know how he could sit there and be so composed. Maybe he has a composed gene that I don't have, but I couldn't do it. Well, I think the composed gene, somebody mentioned this during the trial, um, that they acted kind of a lot like the royal family in public. Like, we don't have any problems. We don't show emotion. Um they just kind of have this game face that nobody else has. And it's interesting I, you say that, Mandy, because I don't even know if you know this, but my main area of coverage, it, I'm a royal family reporter. So you're right. Oh, you're absolutely right. They're love. just stoic, stoic on another level. Stoic. Yeah. And I think that that has to be something that you're kind of raised with. Like, mm-hmm. um, I think that that, because that's a very tough thing to do to be able to control your emotions and be that emotionally distant especially for as long as that trial went on. Like that was six weeks of sitting there with the same face every single day. Yeah. To the Royal family, to Buster's credit, the Royal family never had to do that for six weeks, talking about the brutal murder of two of the family. Like that's just, it's, it's, it's on another level, but you know what? I, I have thought a lot about Snapchat randomly throughout this case. It's, and I didn't think about, the total through line of Snapchat until I read your book. So you write, well, first of all, you write in the book that you knew the boat crash was important from the start. I think it's so compelling that you didn't just hop on this case after Paul and Maggie's murders. And we're going to talk about this in a second. Like you've seen Paul and Maggie in person. Like you have been in the same space as them, which just gives me goosebumps and, and chills right now. Obviously, thinking you're covering a boat crash and the murder of Mallory Beach, never thinking that you're looking at two people who will eventually be murdered brutally themselves. But um, I I think it's interesting because Snapchat weaves its way through the story. So a friend of Mallory's named Olivia reaches out to you. She says, my family would kill me if they knew I was speaking to a, a reporter about this, but I have some things I need to tell you. So one of the things she told you was that he, meaning Paul, gets away with everything and brags about it. And she said, Alex was the same way that he loved to flaunt his power and his family connections. It is just a side note. It's just wild how invincible this family thought they were, the sense of entitlement they had. But anyway, so Olivia shows you a Snapchat of Paul driving the boat, which is important because Paul and his family, as you alluded to earlier, were attempting to put someone else in the driver's seat. So Snapchat, I believe, is one of the key factors that ended up convicting Alex of Paul and Maggie's murders. A snap from Paul to a friend placed Alex at the murder scene with the murder victims about five or so minutes 
before they died. So how important of a role and how random is it that it's Snapchat really that I think ends up being a huge factor in convicting Alex of these murders? Absolutely. And I think that that also speaks to modern day technology and mm -hmm. being able to expose the good old boy system and these systems that have been in place for so long and these powerful people that haven't been able to be exposed, have, have avoided accountability mm -hmm. and have avoided um, the public being exposed to the public. And I think that it was, again, it was kind of a perfect storm that all caught up with them. They never, in the boat crash, I don't think they thought about things like Snapchat and things like technology mm -hmm. um, being able to place Paul there. And then the same thing for the murders. Um, Is that not a crazy through line of all yes. Snapchat? Like it's just from the beginning to the end, it was Snapchat that that was the truth teller here. Right. And I don't even use Snapchat anymore. Mm -hmm. I rarely do. I never liked it really. But it seems like the kids around Paul's age were very like, that was a, kind of their main form of communication. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's just crazy. And then the, the lie that he was caught in about being at the kennels, mm -hmm. that was another huge thing. And it, again, that was Paul's phone and video evidence. And Paul would have never known as he recorded that Snapchat, what was about to happen to him in five years. Right. And, and then another technology was um, the cell phone data showing. That, that was so fascinating. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I thought that that was really interesting, but I think all of those things were just the Murdoch's or Alex Murdoch, at least underestimating and not even thinking how much technology could catch him in his lies mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah it's it just I just I, I I knew of course about Snapchat basic more or less convicting Alex of, of the murders but I did not know or I did not piece it together that Snapchat was there to catch Paul too, you know, and right. it's just, it's, it's just wild. And so back to Olivia, Mallory's friend, she told you of the Murdochs, these people are scary, Mandy, somebody needs to do something. And you write that. And I agree that it is the job of journalists to tell the truth. So you're an investigative journalist, not from Hampton County, as we've established, you are from Kansas. So this is a two-parter. How, how were you treated in town? as you were reporting this. And the second part is, do you think that you could only report on this story as you did because you were not from Hampton County and did not know these people and have that bias against this family? It's almost like you were you were more fearless maybe because you, you needed to not be from there to be able to report that objectively. Yeah. Um, so the sec, I'll answer the second part of that first. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It, I think about this all the time, and I think that um, it was very important that our whole team from the packet, uh, myself, Liz, and Teresa Moss, that was really like the core team reporting on the product story at the beginning, none of us were from the South or the, this area, and it was probably our strongest trait just because we... I guess you could say ignorance is bliss. Like we didn't know what we were getting into. Right. Um, and we also didn't have, and I didn't understand this. We didn't have family members holding us back. Like mm -hmm. a lot of 
other people did in the area. And I think about that all the time with like, what would it be like with being a reporter and like, you can't cross your grandmother. You can't say something that your grandmother would have, like, I don't have to deal with that. So um, I think it was really great that we used, I, I think the stereotype a lot of times is that like, if you are a non-Southern reporter in a small town, you're just going to get yelled at and told to go away and mm-hmm. they're not going to like you. But I think we really found the opposite. People were very thankful for that. We were looking into this. People constantly were saying, finally, somebody is doing this. Um, yeah. We've been waiting for this for years, but we've been wanting this for this for years. Um, and people were very welcoming. I mean, but they also were worried about us. We oh, would get, uh, yeah, of- I was worried about y'all too, to be honest with you. <laughs> We would get lots of emails from random people in Hampton all of the time just saying, hey, I love what you're doing, but I'm really worried about you. Don't cross this family. Uh-huh. And that was kind of the sentiment. And that that really, I mean, it kept me up at night a lot. It kept Liz up at night a lot. We were both um, in that period of 2019. It was just a lot of paranoia and a lot of we didn't know how deep any of this went. We just knew something was wrong and that we had to keep going. Yeah. Well, this is probably one of the most eerie parts of the book to me. Like literally my, I got goosebumps. My hair stood on end. You met, or you at least saw Paul and Maggie before their deaths. As the Mallory Beach investigation got underway, the Murdochs definitely knew who you were. Maggie blocked you from her Instagram. Alex and Buster had a pretty pretty chilling phone call where they mentioned you by name. This is all so stranger than fiction, how you're living it out in real time, of course, never knowing that Paul and Maggie would become victims too. So I want to read your descriptors for our listeners of meeting Paul and Maggie in person. You wrote, Paul is small. I wrote, Liz looked at me and raised her eyebrows. It was striking. I thought I'd be prepared for what he looked like, but when I first saw him, I was taken aback. He was wearing a sharp navy sport coat and collared shirt, but he was barely 5'5". His shoulders were narrow. His face was soft and round like a child's. He looked so young. For a moment, I felt a pang of self-doubt. Had I been too hard on him? It was impossible to get a read on how he might be feeling. He looked like a stunned little mouse. Mandy, that is like beautiful reporting, first of all. And then Maggie. Maggie was impeccably dressed with heels and an oversized purse and a prim pink little skirt suit, I guess was Lily Pulitzer. Her hair was perfectly done up. Her look was classic, witch Southern lady, but the expression on her face was completely blank. Her eyes were glazed over and she appeared tranquilized and fragile. What's wrong with Maggie, Liz wrote, passing me the page. She looks drugged out, I wrote under it. So Paul and Maggie were both victims. They were also likely both perpetrators too, at least to some, Maggie, to some degree, Paul, to a large degree. That's a lot there. How do you handle the mixed emotions there? Because that is so complicated. Yeah, I think that that's something with this crime that we've stressed um, throughout our reporting in the podcast and throughout the book is that a lot of times victims aren't black and white. A lot of times these crimes aren't Uh, shows like to make things out to be so simple and in reality they're just not um it's a lot of struggling we struggled with emotions uh, a lot throughout reporting because 
and again, I, I, I think about this a lot and I have said this on Twitter before, but I, I do think that I was too hard on Paul, um, before his death and my reporting it, just because I didn't understand what a monster his father was. Right. And that's been one thing that I do feel really bad about. And then Maggie's another very complicated character because she was a woman in this horrible family that um, I'm sure she, she saw a lot of things. I'm sure she looked the other way often, but ultimately I don't really think that she had a lot of power to leave. I think that she was really trapped in a lot of ways mm -hmm. and th that makes me sad too. Um, I've heard stories about Paul and Maggie both treating people horribly Mm -hmm. and that's awful too but I think it's important to tell both sides of that if that makes and that's sense good reporting to tell both sides of that right it's the truth it. and the truth isn't sugar-coated and the truth and it doesn't help anybody to only say nice things uh about people who died because we're we were still really trying to figure out what was going on with these crimes and I I can't really imagine two more complicated characters than Maggie and Paul as far as being victims and possibly perpetrators, you know. I know, and that's why I said it's stranger than fiction, because uh, even the most brilliant fiction mind could not come up with this story, you know, and the, and the layers of complexity of it. Because, yeah, I mean, just and just because Paul and Maggie have died it doesn't mean that Mallory Beach also did not die at the hands right. of Paul and it's it's wildly complicated and you were actually out of the country with your now husband David when Paul and Maggie were murdered at the family's Moselle property on June 7th 2021 so you've been you have been following the Mallory Beach case now for over two years so this is not this is not new you know these people you've reported on these people they probably feel like a, a massive part of your life at this point the way you write this gives me chills Mandy again your writing is just so just it just it's amazing you write amid the dwindling sunlight on our island in the sea I had no idea that back in South Carolina it was to be Paul Murdoch and his mother Maggie's last night I mean again goosebumps so when they were murdered what was your first thought about who had done this when you heard did you think it was Alex or Buster or maybe revenge for Mallory's death as Alex tried to lead all of us to believe so when you hear about this when you're on vacation where does your mind go immediately well first of all um because of the amount of paranoia surrounding that whole story and the amount that I worked on it um it was something that I thought, like I thought about the Murdochs all the time and so did Liz. Yeah. And we often like would theorize what we, we kind of, I feel like we both had this feeling that we didn't say out loud that something was going to happen. Something. We just knew that this was, there was too much going on with this family. Again, yeah. perfect, perfect storm um, of a, a situation that was bound to go awry at some point mm -hmm. but I you know both Liz and I thought of like a million scenarios of I mean we both 
imagined ourselves being killed before Paul and Maggie in this. I'll be mm -hmm. completely honest about that. Mm -hmm. That was just um, terrifying. It is. And I, we didn't ever picture a scenario where Paul and Maggie were dead before the boat crash trial. I mean, so it was just absolutely shocking. And, but, and I look back on my text with Liz that morning and we both were like, is it Alex? It's gotta be someone in the family. Mm -hmm. And that was just from knowing how feared that family was and mm -hmm. how much um, power they had in the area and how people spoke about them again it would be like it's kind of like committing in, in the in the Hampton County world it is like committing it is like killing a member of the royal family like that risky no one right. would do it well if they will kill Ma Paul and Maggie who who won't they kill you know what I mean right like, and and on their property and right. so the theories that we were initially thinking of is like is this a hit uh but it has to do with Alex Alex is super sketchy um we didn't think it had anything to do with a boat crash mm -hmm. just because of all all, the, all of those kids were scared um they all wanted to move on with their lives um Mm -hmm. it wasn't the boat crash wasn't really in a situation at that time where like why would anybody why would somebody wait two years to get revenge for right. that like why why june 7th 2021 i mean i guess right. the case was about to go to trial in some capacity but still right um and i just i knew from the people i knew in hampton that the kids on the boat weren't capable of that and from what I had learned from them was that like I said like these kids were moving on with their lives two years is a long time when you're mm -hmm. a teenager yeah when you're and, in college and you right have other priorities years. right now you know yeah and it it was a really long time ago to them so they weren't I, I knew it didn't have to do with that, but I was just absolutely and utterly shocked because it was like the last case scenario that I could have ever imagined. Yeah, I can't imagine that. Um, again, you aren't, you know, braiding Maggie's hair every Friday night. You're not, you know, going out to dinner with Paul, but you know them. Like, you know, obviously, you know, you report on them all the time. You've seen them in person. They are real people. I mean, to me, I've never, I've never met them. I obviously never will. And so, I mean, and I would still be affected by that. Um, but you've, you've been in the same room with them. And, you know, before Alex ultimately ended up going to trial, he, this, this saga just is crazy. Like when you think about it all just laid out, like, I mean, you're living this out over the course of four years, but when you lay it out, like boom, 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 Alex gets shot. He's, I mean, again, just thinking about all of this right now blows my mind. I don't know how you reported on this for so long. So this should not be a spoiler alert to anyone if you've been above ground in the past six months. But Alex was ultimately convicted of Paul and Maggie's murders earlier this year. You write, a Colleton County jury had convicted a Murdoch of murder. It was a reality that would have been utterly impossible just a few years earlier. And then you also write, but somewhere deep within my bones, I understood that I was experiencing a watershed moment in my life. Everything over the past few years, perhaps decades, had led me to the place where I was. With the man I loved, David, as my business partner in the independent journalism company we had built, fighting for accountability and transparency and the values we believed in. 
so many people had dedicated their lives to bringing about this outcome. So many others had suffered before it came to pass. As I tweeted just a few minutes later, it was a good day for justice in South Carolina. I should mention that listeners, if you know anything about the Murdoch case, you know about Mandy's incredible podcast, Murdoch Murders Podcast. I've listened to every single episode, Mandy. So you write that your podcast built a movement and I agree with you. Can you kind of tell us about that? Yeah, and it was all very organic. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it started with just not only I wanted to do a podcast forever and my husband was nice enough to push me and he knew Mm -hmm. he believed in my dream of wanting to do a podcast. And then that combined with what we were facing in the weeks after the murders was um, this narrative from the Murdoch machine, as we call it, that mm-hmm. was really reaching mainstream media of blaming, insinuating that it had something to do with the boat crash, um, basically pushing the narrative that Alex wanted to be pushed. And I knew that we had to get the story out in a bigger way. And I knew that the story was so complex that writing stories online just wasn't going to cut it like it there were so many layers that needed to be thoroughly explained and that's really where the idea for the podcast came it was a, a lot of like I want to do this but I feel like we have to because this narrative is kind of getting out of control and not a lot of people understand the truth behind this family and what actually is going on here mm-hmm. And I had and I had mountains of reporting that I had done in my free time over the past couple of years. So, but from that, um, it was not only it not only grew organically and people around the world started listening and we hit number one in mm-hmm. September 2021 on Apple and Amazon. Um, but it also became a story of like women following their instincts. And I love how the the movement of the podcast to me is also, you can hear my confidence change from Mm -hmm. two two years ago. And my voice is very shaky and vocal fry and all that crap. And same, like when you start podcasting, it's not as easy. I I don't know if it appears easy, but it is not easy. And yeah. Oh, it's so hard. And Mm -hmm. it's, um stressful and it yeah I think it appears a lot (laughs) easier than and it's a multi-layered beast like it's it's there's a lot of parts to it it is um but because of that and we got all this momentum behind us and all these people that really believed in us and what we were doing and telling the truth and believing in our um style of journalism and our ways of storytelling that that just kind of took off and it made us believe that like people people are craving like very truthful trustworthy journalists and we realized that throughout all of this and people who aren't afraid to fight the establishment and stand up to the establishment mm-hmm. and that's really what this podcast has done um in our in our own little way, like we were an independent podcast, which wasn't easy to start out. 
Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, too, it's a lot easier when you have podcasting yeah. networks that you're a part of. I didn't know any of that. Yeah, um, same, 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 same. I totally, it's it's not easy. Yeah, but it just shows if you have a store, a good story to tell and the truth mm-hmm. on your side and the and you put the work in that you can go a really long way with it and that's you did that number one number one <laughs> you. like number one what I have two podcasts this is one of them I have another podcast that I co-host about the royal family the highest we ever got when the queen passed away I think was 92 and that was like well that and that was just in our category that was just in the history category you were number one like period, the end that is amazing <laughs> like that's that's that just does not happen especially not for an independent podcast and that's I mean you should be so proud of yourself and you know I I am proud of you and you know now that Alex has been convicted of Paul and Maggie's murders can you give us any clue as to where the Stephen Smith and Gloria Satterfield investigations are and I'm also wondering if you are going to be covering those if anything should move forward yeah, we plan on covering. Um, I want your coverage. Your coverage absolutely. is what I trust. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the both investigations are still open and ongoing with uh, the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division. Huh? We're hearing good old sled. Good old sled. <laughs> uh, hearing little bits and pieces of movement with Stephen, but it's getting frustrating. So we're hoping um as sandy is going to uh sandy is steven's mom and she is really trying to get steven's story out there again and again and again and we're helping her with that with just the more pressure the better um but yeah i continue following those two stories until the very end because it's very important and i think that uh, another big takeaway from the book um is that the Stephen Smith case being being unsolved is probably the worst part about all of this it's like the the only um the real open end that I would like to see justice for well let's talk about Stephen Smith for just a second I want to read a passage from the book about Sandy who is Stephen Smith's mom she is speaking about how there was one set of rules for the rich in Hampton County another for the rest of us. You write, there was a weariness to Sandy's voice, which I've since come to recognize as a hallmark of struggling people who had been victimized by the system in Hampton County. It sounded like resignation and fatigue. It sounded like a lifetime spent in an unjust community with no recourse and the grim acceptance that nothing would ever change. So that, you know, things have changed, right? At least a little bit because Alex has been convicted. Do you think that Hampton County is on, is on the right path? I do. I think that it's still very complicated in the fact that I don't believe that everybody involved in all of these crimes um, has been charged yet. So I think that it'll be very interesting in the next few months. I, I really hope authorities um especially keep looking into the financial crimes just for where all the money went and who all helped with that entire criminal operation. Because I think, I think for Hampton County to really take the turn that it needs to take, I think that a lot more people need to go down. And I think that will be interesting to see, but I am very glad that, I mean, 
and like like I said in the book, I I think a lot of people thought it was impossible to not only charge a Murdoch but to convict them, and mm-hmm. we've seen that. So we've seen it. We've seen it's it. a new data. Well, so he gets convicted. How do you feel, Mandy? How do you personally feel? Did it feel like the weight of the world had been lifted off of your shoulders a little bit? Yeah, it really did. Um, you know, we framed this book in a way that. Um, to me, the big moment was not his conviction. It was him just being charged with the murders because that was such a hurdle in itself. And um, and we actually were like finishing up writing the book. And I also have to huge shout out to Carolyn Murnick and her mm-hmm. words are amazing. She was my co-author on this book and she definitely helped me sort through all of this <laughs> and present it in a way that made sense. Mm-hmm. because just so much um but the we really didn't emphasize the trial and the conviction that much just because I was so scared that he wasn't going to get convicted mm-hmm. and I was so scared that after hearing so many rumors and so many crazy stories about the the Murdoch family allegedly allegedly fixing juries and being able to control juries in the 14th circuit I was just incredibly nervous about that and it didn't really have to do with the evidence I was very I had a lot of faith in the evidence I had a lot of faith in our prosecution team and Creighton Waters and but I was just nervous that they were going to be able to get to one juror to one juror Mm -hmm. and I felt like the weight of the world was definitely lifted when uh he was actually convicted and I I really was preparing for not a conviction because I just always think the worst case scenario Mm -hmm. um but that would have been a really really hard time um can you imagine yeah and I I don't think I would have wanted to uh, honestly, I think I would have moved from South Carolina if yeah, I didn't. I wouldn't, and I would not have blamed you. I don't think anybody would have. I think right. a lot of people would have moved from South Carolina, specifically Hampton County, if that okay. were the case. So, yeah. as we begin to close our time together, Mandy, you're amazing, and I'm so proud to have gone to the same journalism school as you. Like my gosh, rock chalk Jayhawk all the I way. Like but um, what was the most shocking part of your research, investigation, so on throughout all of this? What is what, and it doesn't have to be just about Paul and Matt, just the whole the whole shebang. What is one piece of reporting that made you say, my God, like what is going on here? It was probably finding the Gloria Satterfield settlement um, back in mm-hmm. 2019. Uh-huh. I remember reading about that in the book. Yeah. Yeah. That ended up opening the door for all of the financial crimes and I think about this all the time. I think as reporters, we stumble on things and you don't know what to do with it. And your gut says one thing and your company says the other and you just Mm -hmm. don't know. Um, That was an instance where there was just so many rumors about the Murdoch's maid being killed in their house and all these things. And then finding that document was just unbelievable and I think about that all the time if if like what if I didn't find it and what if I didn't report on it Mm -hmm. and how long would it have taken for the Satterfields to figure out what was going on Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely so all that said Stephen Smith Gloria Satterfield possible 
trial someday, maybe, hopefully, hopefully justice for those families. What is next for you? Um, Admittedly, covering this case is a tough act to follow, but unfortunately, there are still more arms to this case that have not been resolved. So what's, what's in the pipeline for you right now? Definitely finding out who killed Steven. I think yeah. our team is going to dig back into that. And we're also starting to look into other cases across the country. Um, we started to look into the Solomon case over, which is a crazy case in um, Tennessee over the summer, but did not anticipate all of this chaos <laughs> at, still happening in the Murdoch trial. So uh, now we're kind of back to focus, uh, knows the grindstone <laughs> or whatever uh, on Murdoch and where the money, I mean, we're trying to figure out where the money went. We try trying to figure out who all was involved. We're trying to figure out, and there's a financial crimes trial with Alex Murdoch coming up in November. So all You're of those- charging things, him with that, even after he's been, I mean, I guess it's a totally different crime, you know, murder and financial crimes, but he's already in prison for life. So- yeah. And I guess the idea there is not only to find out because he's not been forthcoming about who all was involved. Um, mm-hmm. We hope to find out more with that in the trial, but also get another state conviction for him in the books. So if anything crazy with his appeal happens, which I hope it doesn't, but you never know if <laughs> this story, um, some people think that he's going to get another murder trial. And that's another crazy, that's a whole nother box of <laughs> craziness. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have just learned to roll with it, to just expect chaos. And I think that we can anticipate a lot of chaos and twists and turns in the next few months again. My gosh, it's just, again, it's just an onion. You peel back a layer and there's another layer. It's just the ugliest onion in the world. It's just awful. And I'm just glad that that you were there to report on this because I trust your reporting so much. And I'm so glad that you're going to see if hopefully if the Stephen Smith thing goes through, that you will see it through to the end. And, and I just, I mean, I, again, trust your reporting so much. My last question for you is this. I want to know about the title of the book. Can you explain that to us? Sure. Um, the title was probably the one of the toughest parts mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. writing yeah. of the process. We, my co-author and I and David was a big help in all of it. Uh, kept throwing out phrases and with Harper Collins and Harper Collins wasn't liking a lot of it. <laughs> and, um, but blood on their hands, we ultimately settled on. And I, I love it because it captures again, my unique perspective of all of this, which is, it's not just the Murdochs who are responsible for all of these horrible crimes. It's everybody who enabled them. And it's all these other people who knew that these things were going on mm-hmm. and did nothing. And that's an important, that the title scene comes from uh, seeing Corey Fleming, actually Alex Murdoch, Alex Murdoch's best friend at a bar a couple months after the murders and just watching how 
he didn't have a care in the world and he seemed yeah. like everything was fine. And I was just watching him being like, I know that you did something with Gloria Satterfield. I'm not, I'm thinking this in my head. Uh-huh. Um, like you have blood on your hands too. And that's where, that's where the whole thing comes from. And a couple, few months after that, he got charged with the Gloria Satterfield crimes and mm-hmm. he's only been convicted. So mm-hmm. I think we would be, stunned to learn as we continue to learn how many people are involved in this there's no way that he did any of this any of them did any of this alone it's just not yeah and I just want people to know that like they you can individuals can stop something like this from happening Mm -hmm. um you don't have to comply and you don't have to be afraid Mm -hmm. to speak up well, yeah, I mean, when, you, when you're when you the Murdochs in Hampton County, South Carolina, prior to 2019, you think you're invincible, and I'm happy to report you're not, and right. I, I yeah. hope the same for any other quote-unquote Murdoch in any other county, in any other state, in any other country, because you're not above the law, and listeners, if you followed the Murdoch case, if you like true crime, if you just want a really compelling read, this is the book for you, the book as as Mandy just said, it's called Blood on Their Hands, Murder, Corruption, and the Fall of the Murdoch Dynasty. It is out November 14th, and you will tear through it just like I did. This was a one-sitting book for me, Mandy, and read oh, wow. it off one sitting. Doesn't always ha- get to happen these days, but it did, and it was great. So thank you so much for being here today, Mandy, and thank you for representing Kansas and all journalists so well. Thank you so much, Rachel. Rock chalk. And Rock chalk. All day long. <laughs> yeah, love it. There is so much about this case that I cannot get over. Snapchat, for starters, the phone records, how much our phone really does disclose so much about our lives. I hope that Stephen and Gloria and Mallory, for that matter, somehow get justice that Paul and Maggie now have. And I am so glad to hear that Mandy is still on the case covering it. If you are even one person interested or intrigued by the Murdoch saga listeners, This book is for you. Again, it is called Blood on Their Hands, Murder, Corruption, and the Fall of the Murdoch Dynasty, and it is out November 14th. Later this week, we'll have a special fiction pick and speak to none other than renowned author Mitch Album about his latest. Talk soon.